This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. On this Thursday, July 7th, we are talking a Pipeline podcast today. Matt Waymeyer pinch hitting for Tim McMaster this week, and we are joined by MLBPipeline.com guru Jim Callis. And, uh, Jim, you're going to be on the scene Sunday at uh, Petco Park in San Diego for the annual Sirius XM Futures game. And, uh, obviously, the best of the best are going to be on display uh, showcasing their talents. But when you look at the the true cream of that crop uh, – who or what are you most looking forward to about this year's Sirius uh, XM Futures game? Well, I always look forward to it because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the best, I think, prospect showcase of the year. You don't get to see this many guys live and in person on one field any other time during the year. So that's why I, I, love, the, uh, I love the Futures game. And, you know, it, it, the, the rosters are loaded. You know, I, I talked about it in Pipeline Inbox earlier today in a piece I wrote. I guess I'm most excited about seeing guys I haven't seen before. You know, I've seen a lot of these guys, like the Dan Swansons of the World, the College World Series, or the Alex Races in the Arizona Fall League, or seeing some of these guys on the backfields in the uh, in the Cactus League. Um, and so, you know, I'm excited about looking at guys I haven't gotten been able to see. You know, Yohan Mankata of the Red Sox, for instance, you know, the, the, the $63 million man who's living up to that price tag. He, he might be the best prospect in baseball now. I've never seen him live. Um, you know, another Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi, was in Omaha last year for the College World Series, but they got eliminated in two games, so I didn't get to see him live. And, you know, look forward to seeing him. You know, Jeff Hoffman of the Rockies, who, who could have been the number one pick in the draft a few years ago if he hadn't had Tommy John surgery, his stuff has really bounced back in an impressive way. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, and I could go on and on. You know, Eloy Jimenez of the Cubs is showing why he was the top international prospect a few years ago. He's having a great year in low class A. Ahmed Rosario, who, who just got added to the game, actually, if he replaced. Uh, he replaced uh, the, the Yankee shortstop, Jorge Mateo, who got suspended, I guess, for insubordination. I was looking forward to seeing Jorge Mateo for the first time. I won't get to do that, but, I'm, but his replacement, Amid Rosario, the Mets, is one of the best all-around shortstops in the minors, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. And, you know, even even some of the lesser pro- prospects, like uh, Nevaroskis, the the uh, the Lithuanian pitcher in the Pirates system, is up to 98 miles an hour. He's trying to become the second-ever Lithuanian in the big league, so I, and I, you know, like I said, I've heard about a big fastball. So, so all those guys are excited. I'm excited to see, and you know, and of course, even the guys I've seen, you know, uh, you can never see too much Alex Reyes or Dansby Swanson or those guys too. So, I mean, literally every at bat, every 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 play in the field. I mean, it, it's it's almost all you know high quality prospects. So it's just a great time. And Jim, have you found that uh, in previous years covering this game that uh, you know again these guys? all getting together, you know, for, for one time, for one game. Does this usually favor the hitters or the pitchers in a scenario like this? I, 
I think in these, these, these showcase-type games, it favors the pitchers because especially the starting pitchers, instead of having to try to pace yourself and mix pitches, you're going for one innings. You're just going to go out there and pitch to the radar gun and, and light it up. I mean, we may see Alex Reyes hit like 101 miles an hour for the Cardinals where he might you know be a little bit more judicious with his uh, use of velocity if he was going to go five or six innings. But I think it probably favors the pitchers. I also... Not that I'm a high-level uh, baseball player, Matt, by any means. I, I just think it's tougher for a hitter to, to, to face a guy you, you probably haven't seen before, uh, you know, figuring out his delivery, figuring out his pitches. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they have scouting reports, but until you actually see the guy out there on the mound throwing, I think it's tough. And, and you know, generally you're getting one crack at each pitcher. You're not going to get to see him two or three times. Yeah, and that's a good point. Uh, so when it's, you know, every guy for every inning that can uh, approach, you know, triple digits, that, that's a very – that's a can be a very long day at the plate for the hitters. So we'll see how that pans out uh, this Sunday for the Sirius XM Futures game. And, uh, Jim, want to get your thoughts. Something I'm curious about is that, you know, these guys, uh, meaning the, the top prospects in baseball, they're so spread out amongst different levels of the minors and they're concentrated within very specific – geographic regions they don't see each other on a regular basis you know as opposed to major league baseball where you're traveling all over the country you see the same opponents all the time it's it's just a totally different dynamic so having said that when these guys do get together for this one game every year during all-star break do you notice any interaction or camaraderie between these guys or is it you know basically just a, a huge giant meet and greet between all these guys no, you know, I actually think these guys know each other better than you might think just because of going back to the, the, the showcase circuit in high school. You know, if the guy's the same drafter as you, you may have played with him uh, or against him at a showcase or on the U.S. international team. Your college, you may have played with these guys in Cape Cod League or, or, or faced him in college. I mean, obviously, Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman. Uh, know each other from the SEC, and they were the double play combination on Team USA. Um, you, you might have, uh, you know, faced, you know, been with the guy in the Arizona Fall League, or, or faced the guy there. Um, you know, it, it just seems like, like I, I kind of feel the same way about the Arizona Fall League, and there's a little different because you have clusters of prospects from each team. But it always seems like, like these prospects, a lot of the top prospects seem to know each other one way or another. You know, maybe you have the same agent, and you know them that way. Um, or you're, you're part, like even if you're a college guy, maybe you're part of the same draft, and so you, you bumped into the guy there. Uh, so I, these guys actually, it does seem like there's a lot more relationships ships than you might suspect uh, th- there would be. Yeah, good point about the showcase circuit and about guys having similar agents, and there is some familiarity there, uh, you know, before you get on the field. But always interesting to see, you know, how that dynamic occurs between guys that don't know each other, and maybe they they form a lifelong bond. Who knows? Or they make it to the majors at the same time, and a friendship begins. We'll we'll see how that turns out. And uh, Jim, one guy who would have assuredly been a part of the futures game, if not for that pesky little call up of getting, uh, you know, to to the major leagues and making his uh, dreams come true. Uh, Tyler Glass now of the Pirates. Now we're speaking here at about 4.30 Eastern time on a Thursday. Uh, He has just completed his first uh, major league outing as a member of the Pirates, taking on the Cardinals in St. Louis. Uh, I caught the first three innings. He looked pretty good. How did his uh, outing turn out overall? Well, he's he's probably going to wind up getting the loss, uh, although it's not actually all his fault. I mean, kind of be honest what we what we expected i mean he he, he threw you know, his fastball was tough i mean he pitched a lot at 92 96 miles an hour and he was up yeah you, you need to keep watching matt because for through three innings he'd held the cardinals scoreless and then he wild pitched in a run in the fourth um in the fifth uh gave up another run 
And in the sixth, he, he gave up a couple runners, and they pulled him. And Archimedes Caminero uh, came in and gave up a, a three-run homer to Stephen Piscotti. Two of the runs were glass now. In the fifth inning, it was a home run by Randall Gritchick off a hanging curveball. So, I mean, I think it was kind of, you know, he gave up four runs in five and a third. Although, like I said, I mean, three, two of those came when Caminero gave up the three-run homer. Uh, after you know, with two guys on base, you know, inherited runners that scored, but it was kind of the glass now, you know, the good and the bad, you know, where the the fastball was very good and unhittable at times. I mean, he only gave up three hits in five and a third innings. It wasn't like he gave up a lot of hits, but you know, he he hung a breaking ball. You know, his command isn't always great, and he walked a couple guys and, and got into trouble that way. So, I uh, you know, I think it was. You know, I'm not saying that you. I would have predicted that exact line, but you know, impressive, pure stuff, and not quite bigly command. Uh, that was kind of the report on him coming into the game. So no, no surprises here, and you kind of walk away from it thinking, uh, you know, well, he didn't, you know, uh, he didn't blow anybody away, but he, you know, he held it together uh, for you know three or four innings before he, things kind of got away from him. Is this about what we expected from Tyler Glass now? Yeah, you know, and you know, the fastball. I mean. I think he's thrown harder than 92, 96 at times, but I mean, he he did strike out five and five and third innings. I mean, he missed bats. I mean, uh, you know, outside of you know, I mean, he gave up four base runners. I mean, five base runners and four of them scored. Uh, you know, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, you know, I think three hits, two walks, five strikeouts, and five and third innings, and and kind of running out of gas in the sixth. Not not unexpected for the first big league outing. Yeah, I agree. So when you look at, uh, you know, his first big league outing today on this Thursday compared to the first uh, big league outing a couple of weeks ago of the now uh, DL'd uh, Jamison Tyone, uh, compare and contrast those two for us. Well, you know, we, we talked about these guys yesterday for video for the website, Matt, and, you know, as I said, you know, I think in terms of pure stuff, uh, I think the glass now has got a little bit better pure stuff. And in terms of polish, I think Tyone's got more polish, and I think that was kind of the case. I mean, his first outing, uh, uh, Glass now, I mean, Glass of Tyone won six innings, gave up six hits, two walks, three strikeouts, you know, only three runs. I mean, he actually gave up more base runners, but, you know, it just so happened more Glass now's guys scored, and, you know, three of the six hits, uh, you know, Tyone gave up were, were extra base hits. And, but then the next time he came out, I mean, he, he shut out the Mets for eight innings and it looked pretty good doing it. So, again, I mean, uh, you know, I think we're reading a lot into just a brief amount of outing. You know, Tyone's only pitched five outings, but, you know, Tyone, Tyone walked, you know, five guys and five starts and they had more polish, but, you know, didn't miss as many bats. And Glass now missed more bats and wasn't as polished. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not always this easy to kind of say, "Oh, I knew that was going to happen," but they kind of lived up to the scattering reports, at least initially, on uh, both guys. I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, like you said, it's tough to get a read on on anybody after one outing, particularly their first career major league outing, such as we had today, this Thursday, with uh, Tyler Glasnow and uh, Jim. Does he get a few more bonus points for facing a Cardinals lineup, which has just been raking pretty much since uh, day one? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you said, he only gave up three hits in five and a third innings. It just so happened his line would look a lot better. I mean, if I told you five and a third, three, one run, uh, you know, three hits, two walks, five strikeouts, that would kind of make sense. It just so happened, you know, he, you know, the hits he gave up a, they gave up a triple to Lidimus Diaz, and then he scored on a scored on a wild pitch, and, and you know, he gave up the home run to Gritchick, and then he gave up a couple more hits, and, and Caminero didn't help him out. But, you know, if not for that home run, let's say he only gave up two runs. I mean, that line looks pretty good, and 
and actually would have been a better line than, than what Tyone posted in his first game. Yeah, it, it's tricky to really, you know, assess a guy through a, merely a line score because, as you said, Caminero gave up the three-run homer that did some damage to the final line uh, for Tyler Glass now, but I think we can all agree more good than bad, and hopefully he gets uh, that second big league start depending on the health of guys like Tyone and like Garrett Cole. We'll see if uh, Glass now fits into the long-term plans of the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates moving forward. And, uh, Jim, as of this discussion, as we take a look back at the uh, 2016 first-year player draft, only three first-round picks from the 2016 draft remain unsigned. Uh, give us those names. I know one is uh, Jason Groom of the uh, Red Sox. I'm not aware of the other two, but fill us in on those other two and tell us uh, when or if you think they're going to sign on the dotted line. Yeah, we've got the, the deadline is coming up. It's July 15th, which is next Friday, and right now we've got three – First-round picks, uh, unsigned, like you said. Um, the, the highest is Braxton Garrett of the Marlins, the seventh overall pick. People who have listened to me rave about Braxton Garrett know that, I, I, you know what, I, I like him better than any lefty in this draft, including Jason Groom, who we'll talk about in a second, and was our top-ranked prospect on the MLB Pipeline Top 200. And A.J. Puck from Florida, who, who for a long time looked like he was the number one overall pick. I, I think what's going on with Garrett, I, I think he'll sign. I don't, I'd don't. i be shocked if he doesn't sign with the Marlins. The Marlins have two premium guys on sign right now. They have Garrett, and then they have Thomas Jones, who is a third-round pick, who is more of a, you know, he went 84th overall, more of a top 50 overall talent. If I, if, I, if I remember my calculations correctly on those guys, I think the Marlins, who traditionally have not gone over their bonus pool in the past, but with the money they've saved so far, could probably go about $5 million between the two of them. You know, the Braxton Garrett's pick value at seven is $3.75 million. Uh, Thomas Jones' pick value at 84, and he's going to definitely get more in his pick value is around $750,000, and I think they've got about an extra 5000 to play with. I think all that's happening there is that, that Garrett's camp and Jones's camp are both trying to maximize what they're going to get, and I, I think you know those guys could theoretically go down close to the deadline, but they're, they're, I, I think Garrett's definitely going to sign, and unless they just gave a bunch, all their extra money to Garrett and didn't pay Thomas Jones, which I don't think is necessarily going to happen. I think Thomas Jones will sign too. So that's one uh, one complicated explanation there. Um, Jason Groom, who, who we've talked about and read a lot about, you know, number one prospect in the draft according to us. You know, tremendous pure stuff, good delivery, some makeup issues, and those contributed him dropping 12th overall the Red Sox. Well, the other complicating factor is is that it's my understanding that the Padres basically promised Jason Groom, you know, the Potters had three first-round picks. If, if Groom got down to, pit, you know, picks 24 and 25, they'd give him $5 million. Well, he, he didn't go there. And the Red Sox are not in a position with their bonus pool where they'd be able to pay him $5 million. I think right now they could probably pay him around, you know, if they, if they gave him all the money that's left over and, and they paid the 5%, you can go over your bonus pool without losing a draft pick. You know, they, they probably could give him – you know, close to $4 million. Um, now, that said, I think they haven't signed a lot of their guys. Their, their fourth-rounder, Bobby Dahlbeck, who was at the College World Series, their fifth-rounder, Mike Sharin. Both those guys had a, had a chance to be first-round picks before they had some disappointing junior seasons of college. Um, their 11th-round pick, Nick Quintana, is one of the better high school hitters in the draft, kind of an intriguing guy. He's in play, too. So I, I'm not so sure that the Red Sox are just going to give Jason Groom every penny they have remaining in their bonus pool. What I suspect is probably going to happen is they're going to get the deals done 
with other guys, and at some point, and I think they'd like to do it more. It's not going to just be a last-day scenario, Matt. I think at some point they're going to get all their guys signed, all their other guys signed, whether it's three days or five days or however many days before the deadline, and go to Jason Groom and say, okay, look, here, here's our number. This is what we can pay you. This is the most we can pay you without losing a first-round pick. Because I don't think they'll give up the first-round pick going forward. Um, and basically say take it or leave it. And I say, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting. It, it's not going to be $5 million. You know, the groom, depending on who you talk to, either decommitted from Vanderbilt to go to junior college next year, Chipotle Junior College in Florida, Matt, in which would make him draft eligible to give himself more leverage, or you hear talk to other people say, you know what, Vanderbilt told him, look, it's probably best if you don't come here. I, I just find, if I have to guess on this one, and I know both sides are going to kind of dig in, I just find it hard to believe, especially when you're a pitcher, a high school pitcher, that you're going to turn down uh, something in the neighborhood of $4 million and, and risk injury. We saw what happened with Brady Aiken a couple of years ago when he failed his physical with the Astros and he didn't take the reduced offer. And then there's also makeup and maturity concerns. You know, uh, there, There's another year of uh, things that could happen to Jason Groom. So I think he probably signs. Um, the, the one that baffles me a little bit, to be honest with you, is Anthony Kay of the Mets. He's the other first-round pick, 31st overall by the Mets. The, the, the pick value there is right around $2 million. Um, you know, generally, you know, in, in most cases, I, which I don't think it was the case necessarily with, with, with Garrett Groom, but when you're taking a guy in the first round, you, you know what you're going to pay the guy. Um, and I would have thought this deal would have been done a while ago. Um, I, I've kind of like tried to sniff around that one a little bit. I haven't really gotten any information, but it makes me wonder if there, there, there's something going on there that it's, you know, but, you know, and I'm just speculating. I want to say I'm 100% speculating. But, like, you know, could there be some kind of issue with the fiscal that's holding that deal up? Because I would have thought Anthony Kay would have signed by now. I don't don't think – yeah, I don't think he was going higher than pick 31. He, he's not an over-slot guy. I'm sure that before the draft, assuming a, 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 a fiscal that he would have passed – that the two sides knew what that bonus was going to be. So I'm a little mystified in that case as to why he hasn't signed. Jim Callis dropping all the knowledge on this Thursday afternoon. And, uh, Jim, if you're not there already, enjoy your time in uh, San Diego for the Sirius XM Futures game and all the festivities of All-Star Week. And we will talk again soon, I am sure that is, MLBPipeline.com's Jim Callis. In the meantime, Matt Wehmeyer signing off for the MLB.com Pipeline Podcast.